Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at GodSolutionShow.com. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm so excited that you're tuned back in. Well, today we're going to be getting back to the second part of the show on finding the biblical city of Sodom. This is a presentation that was done at our recent Best Facts Apologetics Conference in Colorado, where Dr. Stephen Collins talked about his discovery of the biblical city of Sodom. Of course, you remember the story in Genesis. Well, you're going to hear about how archaeology has shown not just that the city existed as told in Genesis, but that the destruction of the city happened exactly as told in the Bible. It'll be a fascinating show, and I'm sure you don't want to miss any of it. If you missed last week's show, go to GodSolutionShow.com and look under the Past Shows tab to find it and all of our other 300-plus shows. Thank you so much for tuning in. Without any further ado, let's get right back to the second part of the show about finding the biblical city of Sodom. Look across the Kikar. We're looking westward across the Kikar. Look at the green. They grow a lot of stuff there even today. We're just standing in the hills. But there she is. Now, how big is she? The fact of the matter is, is that Tal el-Hammam, we now know, is the largest continuously occupied not the largest, but the largest continuously occupied city in the Bronze Age. And if it's Sodom, what does that tell you? God was pretty patient. Okay. All right. Now, the right stuff. We got the right place, the right time frame. What's the right stuff? Well, we could go on and on with this, but part of it is right in Scripture. There it is. Lot sat in the gateway of Sodom. You have a gateway. Do you suppose that means you have a wall through which the gate takes you? Yes. This is a fortified city. There are a lot of towns and cities, not cities really, but towns that would not be fortified. But this one is fortified. Now, here's here's the fortification. This is the early Bronze Age fortification. We're standing on just the foundation of it, uh, and it is 18 feet thick. Okay, so it's big. Here's Danette and I standing atop the defensive rampart of the upper city. It took somewhere between uh, 10 and 15 million mud bricks to build that rampart around the city. It's absolutely stunning. And um, here's the southern defenses. This is our excavation from over several years of the southern defenses. There is the early Bronze Age city wall going around the city. There is the Middle Bronze addition or addition uh, building. Of, it was an earthquake, and they had to, re- had to fix it. So they built a whole new fortification system around it. There's an entrance into the tower. And here's uh, Dr. Lane Rittmeyer's reconstruction of that gateway of the Middle Bronze Age. That's the gateway of Sodom. You walk up to Sodom in the Middle Bronze Age, that's what it looks like. All right. Now, in the, that's the exterior. The interior, we didn't get for a couple more seasons. We were fully expecting a traditional uh, Syrian-style, Levantine-style gatehouse. It sort of looks like an E, two E's stuck together with, you know, you walk in, you got a chamber left, right, chamber left, right, go through maybe four chambers, maybe six chambers. That's what we expected. Didn't find it. What we found was this. 
a pillared gateway, a pillared entryway. It's the only one ever found in this part of the world. It's interesting. It has a light well. That is, three stories, two or three stories, and you have to let light down through it. This is not Canaanite architecture. This is Minoan architecture. This connects it with Crete, which is a whole interesting thing. By the way, it's this connection that helps us explain the abduction of the attempted abduction of the angels. This is an archaeological explanation. We now know how to tell that story in detail. And I will do that this afternoon. Uh, it will be the X section session with uh, no kids, please. Nobody under, like, high school age. Um, here's the cutaway of that. We've excavated so many pieces of the city now. We know where the residential areas are, where the temple areas are, where the palaces are. And uh, here's what the city looks like. Here you go, Sodom in the time of Abraham. I think it's pretty exciting. You know what it looks like. It's not amazing how these mythical cities look, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So mythical, you even have cloth. We found cloth. This is from the Bronze Age. This is wool. This is amazing. Look at a piece of cloth. This is from, Lot, from Lot's tunic. No, just kidding. <laughs> I think we could sell that to the Pope. I think we could get him to buy that one. Um, here we are just excavating. I'm just going to show you just what does it look like after you dig it out and clean it up. It looks like something. Right? Of course, just foundations here. But all of that you just don't care about. So I have to close with a little bit of this. Now, I was going to talk about it later this afternoon, but I'm going to open up some other stuff. So I wanted everybody to see this little piece because I think we scheduled a little piece on the destruction of Sodom later. I'm going to talk about it now because I have like 10 minutes. And so uh, later I'm going to talk about a couple of other real exciting things that we discovered on the site, and that will give us a chance to go into it even more. But what people are really interested in, you know, okay, you know, the archaeology is okay and the artifacts are okay, but how bad was the destruction? That's what people care about. How, how bad was it? All right, let's talk about how bad, bad it was. Now, remember, here's what it looks like. You got this whole civilization sitting over there on the other side of the river. And all around, if you follow, remember, you follow those trade routes out and you go to those other cities, and every one of those locations you would go to, it continued right on into the late Bronze Age, right the time of Moses and Joshua. Went right on in. All these other cities around, uh, just go right on into the time of Moses. Even Jericho came back for, for a bit. Just poor Jericho. I tell that story. They couldn't catch a break. They got toasted as collateral damage when Sodom was destroyed, and about a week and a half after they cut the ribbon on the new city, a couple centuries later, here comes Joshua. And, you know, they just couldn't catch a break. So anyway, um, how many LB sites there? How many, how many cities there continued from the Middle Bronze Age right on into the Late Bronze Age? Zero. Now, you have to ask the right questions, Right? Fact, Bronze Age civilization on the Eastern Jordan disk with Tal al-Hammam as its cultural center flourished continuously for over 2,500 years. Now we know that the civilization can be pushed back probably about 4,000 years of continuous occupation without a break. 
um, very successful. God was patient. This Bronze Age civilization, including Tal Hammam, came to an abrupt termination toward the end of the Middle Bronze Age, and the area remained without cities and towns for the next seven centuries. Here's the operative question based on those two facts. Why did the best watered agricultural land in the region remain without cities and towns for the the ensuing seven centuries after the Middle Bronze destruction? The water didn't go away. By the way, there are three. Learn learn a little hardcore archaeology here. It's a three-legged milking stool, the reason people build a city on a given location. There are three, three things that prop it up. You take any one away, what happens? Down, down it goes. You don't have a city. Three things, what are they? Number one, water. Number two, agricultural land. You've got to grow food. Number three, defensible high ground. Well, the defensible high ground didn't go away. The water didn't go away. What went away? The agricultural soil went away. We've, we're even demonstrating that now, that the entire agricultural layer of soil was ripped off the region in an instant. Um, so what happened? Well, now, if you're a Bible student and you come to these facts and this question, how difficult is the answer? It's not difficult. But scientists are a little tougher. <laughs> First time we encountered this, there's an Iron Age city built there by Solomon. By the way, Sodom was never rebuilt. Those people are gone. The culture is gone. The civilization is completely gone. The Sodom belonged to. The whole thing was taken out. Solomon built a store city here. It took 700 years for the agricultural land, according, according to the soil science. This is exactly on schedule. It took 700 years for the local soils to recoup so that agriculture could begin again. And um, here's that stratum. Look at that. That stratum is the Middle Bronze Age stratum. That's a full meter to meter and a half of destruction debris across the site, and it's ugly, isn't it, Vic? You excavated some of it. Um, And that's the end of it. Iron Age built on top of it. In other words, for 700 years, it was just a pile of ruins and burn and char. We got down underneath it to that, that's the Iron Age on top. You get down underneath it and you get to the Middle Bronze Age destruction layer. And we call it, we start calling it the Cuisinart layer. Because it's like somebody put the whole city in there and went, like that. I mean, it's just bits and pieces of everything. There's hardly a whole pot found in the excavation. We find pots strewn, and I'll show you some of those. Um, but, uh, the first time we encountered this material, this was at the bottom of that, in the Middle Bronze II, in a solid Middle Bronze Age II um, context, we found a piece of pottery. But it was, they had just troweled down to it. And, and I looked down in there and I saw this glassy kind of shiny surface and I went, oh, no. Because I'm thinking, it's glazed. Glazed pottery was invented in the Islamic era, the 7th, 8th century, A.D., What's it doing down here? I hop down in the hole. You're not supposed to call them holes. You're supposed to call them trenches. So I hopped down and um, looked at it. And 
So, well, it's a Middle Bronze Age pottery shirt. In fact, it's from the shoulder of the jar. You can see if you stance it, you can actually see exactly where it fits on the, on the jar. But here's what I was looking at. The shiny, glassy surface of it. And I, I took it and I said, that's interesting. And I flipped it up to one of the guys who's there, a, a retired engineer who had actually worked on the Manhattan Project. And he looks at it and he says, oh, this looks like Trinitite. I said, what is that? I didn't even know what that word was. I said, what's that? He said, you know, the sand at ground zero of the first atomic bomb explosion, you know, that melted as a result of the heat of the blast. And I said, that's interesting. <laughs> and uh, since then, we've found bits and pieces. That, by the way, people ask, well, why is the whole thing, you know, covered with it, the, uh, the whole land covered with it? Because it's rare to do this. You have to have almost a pure silica sand or something like a pot or something like that to be – by the way, you wouldn't – if this pot had been wet, if it had rained on it the night before, you wouldn't get any trinitite. Has to be because this flash happens for a fraction of a, a millisecond at a super high heat. And so, anyway, you wouldn't get it. We'll talk about that in a second. But look at this. Do you see those little, um, the dark parts? That's, that's carbon separating due to the heat. It's carbon separating from the silica matrix of the, of the clay body itself. It's not something dripped onto it, by the way. The analysis shows that it's the clay body itself that melted, okay, the surface of it. There's something else. See all these little nodules? Those are calcium nodules. Again, it's an elemental separation due to heat. So we have carbon separating out of the silica matrix. We have calcium separating out of the silica matrix. The interesting thing about this is that's our Middle Bronze Age pottery shirt. That is Trinitite from ground zero of the first atomic bomb explosion. They are physically, materially identical. We know that from scientific analysis of places like New Mexico Tech and other places. All right? So how do you get that in the Middle Bronze Age? <laughs> By the way, we now know we're talking this effect, and we have others. We have surfaces of pottery that are boiled up like bubbles, and just frozen there. It's really incredible stuff. Um, we now know that the interior zircons that are not even in the glass, they're not part of the melt. They're the zircons, little crystals of sand underneath the melt in the interior of the ceramic, melted into little bubbles, boiled. In other words, the zircons boiled you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution, you can go to godsolutionshow.com to find out more about The God Solution. This is the second part of a two-part show on finding the biblical city of Sodom. Dr. Stephen Collins did this presentation at our recent Best Facts Apologetics Conference. We have another one coming up in March. I hope that you'll be there for that. But for today, I hope that you'll be excited to stick with this show and hear the second part of the show on finding the biblical city of Sodom. How hot does a zircon have to be to boil? 3,800 degrees centigrade. That's interior. The surface are all guesstimates, of course, because it's hard to 
know exactly how these things happen. We're, we're estimating somewhere between 10 and 20,000 degrees centigrade to melt this surface in a fraction, probably a millisecond. And uh, by the way, how do we know? Do, do you see the right edge, right, right to the left of the word trinitite? Do you see how the, the glass, the melt flows over the edge of the break? One millimeter. The temperature was so hot that if this thing lasted for more than a millisecond, it, in other words, extrapolate that to a whole second or two seconds or five seconds, the whole sherd would have been melted. It is only hot. The, 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 the vitreous material is only melting for just enough so it slightly laps over the edge of the break, and that's it. In fact, they said it has the quench texture of volcanic glass which means that it was became cool as quick as it became hot. And I can't go into it, but we're running out of time. But All right. This is also desert. This is desert glass. This is impact glass, pure and simple. This is a piece of sand four kilometers toward the Dead Sea from our site. We found this, and they're probably it probably has brothers and sisters. But um, this has been analyzed as well. And um, it's, it's impact glass. These, impla these impacts happen. They're not common, but they happen enough where scientists know them. There's one that happened uh, just to the west of Egypt there, and it cr created a whole, uh, just a lot of impact glass over acres and acres of, of sand. And you know that big scarab on King Tut's, from King Tut's tomb, this big flying scarab? That scarab's made out of impact glass, not jade. It's green glass impact glass, and um, so these things do happen. Now, uh, here's the Bronze Age city. What was destroyed? By the way, in the ash matrix of the lower city, we find bone scatter. It's not burials. This is people exploding, heating and exploding. Most of them were probably vaporized. But if they were, I mean, even at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you could be standing into direct um, exposure, vaporized. In a slightly, you know, two feet to the right, sort of behind the corner of a building, heated and blown up. Two feet over, completely behind the building, survival. It's interesting how that could happen. But it does. Well, these people didn't survive. They were all destroyed. What's in the, what's in the matrix? The sad reality of the city. That's a, that's a, that's a, a toy, uh, a wheel from a children's toy. This is a carnelian bead, nice middle bronze age, carinated bowl, piriform juglet, jewelry, scarabs, you know, seals, individual personal seals. This belonged to somebody who lived in Sodom. Um, you could find, by the way, that wasn't even found in the city. That was found in, in one of the fields around the city. It's a middle bronze age jar. Uh, this is some of the ash around the gate area. Half a meter of it. This, it's just the, it was swept clean. clean. That was a clean plaza when this ash fall occurred. That ash is the weight. It's black, of course, but it's the weight and consistency of wheat flour. It's heavy. It's part, fine particulate. Um, now, what happened? This is all I can show you. I can't really go into all the, all the details because we can't let the, too much of the cat out of the bag, but I'm going to show you his nose. And um, it has already been named by the impact study group, uh, the 
thousand year BP key car event. And um, <clears throat> now there's the site. That's the city proper. On that part of the city, we find little or no mud bricks on top of the stone foundations. Almost none. That's that 100-foot-high rampart that Danette and I were standing atop of. Now, it goes all the way around the upper city, but I just put in the side uh, on the west or the southwest side. Behind that rampart, we find lots of mud brick, 20, 10, 20, 30 courses of mud brick still preserved. So what's the direction of the event? Like that. Okay. It literally blew the lower city off its foundations. And the only reason why the back part of the city still has mud brick on its foundations is because it's behind a gigantic mud brick rampart that is 50 meters thick at the base and 8 meters wide at the top. I mean, it's a big embankment. Now, this is interesting too. This is the floor swept clean by the excavators. This is the floor of the palace kitchen on the upper city behind that rampart. But I want you to notice something. There's, see that big stone? There's a little stone that looks like a bowl. See at the bottom? Then the big stone to the left. That, that big stone to the left is a saddle kern. Notice that its left side is curved and smooth. It's a grinding stone. It would have set up like this, and you would have ground on that surface, but now the surface is flipped over to the left. In other words, it's been turned a quarter, just like that. It used to sit on a pedestal. We found the mud brick pedestal to the right, and it used to sit on a, a pedestal. So you could, it's called a saddle kern because you go straddle over it, and then you take your grinding stone, and you do this, and you grind your, your grain. We found it in this position with the grain on the spilled on the, the carbonized burned grain on the floor moving in a northeasterly direction, we found over a hundred pottery vessels on that floor, all in small pieces, moving across the floor and smashing up against the wall. So you'd find a piece of it over there, a little more here, a little more here, all the way across that floor and that whole thing. Whoops. Oh, I can't believe I don't have my line. Anyway, that whole thing is going in this direction. That stone weighs over 400 pounds, and it was blown off its platform. And it's in a protected zone. <laughs> so I tell you how powerful this blast was. And here's my silly little PowerPoint animation of the directionality. Boom! That was so much fun, I did another one. Boom! So there it is. What is? What was it? We know what it was. By the way, I had already called it this before we ever set foot on that piece of real estate. We had we had we had nailed what the event was. From what? Genesis 19, which says God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah on that day. And esh fire, esh, fire and goprit, brimstone, the old King James translated it. Sulfur, no. No, it can mean sulfur, and I can explain to you privately how all that works. The word means burning stone, burning stone. Now, the only stone that they knew would, would burn was sulfur, so that's how the sulfur connection gets to goprit. Goprit is also translated in the, in the Old Testament as lightning. 
sometimes. But go preach, burning stone. So God sent fire and burning stone from the heavens to destroy the cities of the plain. We know what that is. It's a meteoritic airburst where you have an object. could be a comet fragment. could be a stony meteorite or an iron meteorite coming in and at an oblique angle, heating up. And it all has to do with velocity and, and uh, 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 tra- trajectory and, and volume and all of that. But it comes in and it explodes in midair. By the way, one... Uh, the same month that our book came out, we have a description of this whole event in the, in the book, Discovering the City of Sodom. Um, the same month that that came out, right before the book came out, as Chelyabinsk, Russia. Do you remember it two years ago? We have like dash cams, <laughs> oh, oh, pictures of this thing coming across the sky and exploding. Okay, Now, it didn't kill anybody. did a lot of damage. It's really kind of mild damage. But had that thing come in a little bit steeper, it would have killed millions of people because it was several times more powerful than the Hiroshima bomb, the explosion of it. But here it is coming in, exploding on video. And I called Latane, my co-author on the book, and I said, wow, everybody's going to know about airbursts now. Does Simon and Schuster have connections or what? What happens when you ignore the text in the case of the Kikar geography? When scholars, when scientists and archaeologists ignore the Bible, they get into trouble. And I'll show you the bad trouble that they're in now, and they're really backpedaling on this. They're really squirming out. There's only one, there's only one Near Eastern historical atlas, we'd say Bible atlas, that you can use as a scholar, that you can quote. None of the others, just one. And that's Anson Rainey and Stephen Notley's uh, Carta publication, The Sacred Bridge. It's just updated like last year, too. It's really scholarly. Most people, would, you know, they just lay it down because it's full of, you know, mernepta. <laughs> and talks a lot about the history. But look at this. Nothing on our piece of real estate we've been talking about in the Calcolithic period. Look at this. Let's go up to the early Bronze Age. Nada. This is, the, this is the best historical atlas there is. Blank. Let's keep going. Here's the Intermediate Bronze Age. Blank, except for Ictina, which we know now is one of our satellites. It's not even the main city. Look at the Middle Bronze Age, time of Abraham. Blank. Now I'm going to close with this, with this. By the way, there's the real look. That's the way it should look. It should just be crowded. With cities. In fact, we now know it's the most intensely populated area in the entire southern Levant in the Bronze Age. How do you ignore it? You can't even, you can't even think properly and write properly about the history of that, of that era without Sodom. Why? It, it'd be like talking about France and ignoring Paris, like Colorado ignoring Denver. They'd like to, but they're... <laughs> So here's what we say. I'll close with this. If in the past, archaeologists and Bible scholars had taken Sodom, the Sodom tales seriously, they would have discovered the great civilization in the land of the Kikar a long time ago. 
But they didn't take it seriously, and they didn't find it. But we took it seriously, and we did find it. Well, I hope you enjoyed all that you heard today. It is exciting that we can really trust all that Scripture says and that this discovery is one more evidence of that. If you've never taken the step to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I really hope that you'll do that this morning. The Bible says very clearly that God loves you, he loves every single person, and that he created us for relationship with him. But because of our sin, we're separated from him. And unmitigated, that would lead to an eternity apart from him in what the Bible calls hell. The Bible is very clear that God became a man, Jesus Christ, and lived a perfect life on this planet and died for our sins, paying the ultimate price that we could never pay on our own, so that anyone who believes in him might be saved. If you're ready to take that step, you could do it right now. You could even verbalize that right now, saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me new life. Please be my Savior and my Lord. I hope and I pray that if you haven't taken that step, you will, and that if you already have, that you continue to share your faith and the evidence for it with those you know and love. Go to GodSolutionShow.com to find out more about the God Solution and even to hear one of our 300-plus shows that are posted there under the Past Shows tab. Thanks so much for listening. Like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at GodSolutionShow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.